Okay, good morning, 9 a.m. group. Uh, grateful for you coming early. We have recently had bigger crowds at 11, and we're thankful that you're here at 9 so that um, you know, we can still spread out safely. Uh, grateful for Miss Joyce playing again. The Whittemore is going to take a few weeks off due to COVID concerns. Uh, with that in mind, it's great to see Bryson back and Catherine back. So they're back to, back to reasonable health, I guess you might could say. Um, one prayer request. Randy mentioned that Donna's father fell and is at the hospital in LaGrange. So let's be in prayer for him. You said he broke something. He broke his hip. Okay. So let's pray for Donna and their family and her, and her father. Also, in case you did not know, uh, there were two deaths in our community church family. Um, Teresa Yates' sister, Donna Timms, passed away. Her funeral was on Friday. And then Catherine's grandfather, Vicky's father, Tom Aubrey, passed away. His funeral was yesterday. So I want to thank our church for the ministry to those families. I know food was taken and things were done. And uh, Catherine, good to see you. We love you. And still be in prayer for your family. And pray for Vicky. Yeah, Vicky had a fall also to go with everything that they had going on this week. She fell and broke her elbow. So y'all be in prayer for Vicky. Uh, deacons meeting today at five o'clock. We will meet in the fellowship hall so that we can have a smaller warm space that we can spread out a little bit and then we'll also do adult bible study over there tonight the youth will meet today at six i know they're going to be in the um in first corinthians 13 i almost said sermon on the mount but that was a year ago <laughs> okay any other announcements or updates or requests Yes, I saw that, and I, I don't have the details. Um, okay. Yeah, great. I get the details, and, and we'll post that for you. Okay, uh, Giles, will you lead us in prayer? And then Catherine's going to lead us in worship. Good morning. We're going to begin this morning with singing Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Drive the dark. 
worship you freely and um, joyfully this morning, God. Lord, thank you for songs that remind us of everything we have to be joyful of, God, um, and everything that, God, in everything, you can cast away our fears, God. Lord, as Spirit of the Living God says, Lord, just hold us and mold us and free us, God, and guide us in your light and in your way, Lord. As we open up your word in this time of study, I pray that you will just use Pastor Neil as a vessel to speak clearly to each one of us this morning, God. 
and that your word will just find a lodging place in our heart, Lord. We love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. See, I can't emphasize enough how grateful we are just to be able to meet in person and gather. There are so many churches that aren't able to do that at this time, and it's it's truly a blessing that, that I don't want to take for granted as a pastor. And uh, thank you, Catherine, for, for praying and reminding us of, of how grateful we should be to be able to worship. So turn to Luke chapter 3, we'll worship through the Word. Uh, when's the last time you thought about the ministry of John the Baptist and how necessary he was to prepare the way for Christ? Uh, in Luke chapter 3, our next portion in Luke, we're going to Read about the ministry of John the Baptist from Luke's perspective. And let's think about how necessary and important John's ministry was so that people would not miss Christ. The greatest gift of all is the Word of God and the work of God through His Word. And if we're not careful, we'll miss the gift. That is Jesus and His Word. Our family closed out Christmas last night. <laughs> we had our last family Christmas gathering due to COVID. My wife's family wasn't able to gather, so they all came to, to our house last night. So I guess now I do need to take down my Christmas decorations. <laughs> but the season of gift giving, I love it. I don't feel like I do a, a great job at gift giving, but I had a friend the end of November texted me and he said, uh, Neil, what's your address? He says, I'm going to mail you your Christmas gift. And I thought, well, that's interesting. He's letting me know really early, you know. And y'all may know the guy, uh, Joseph Anderson. Any of y'all know Joseph Anderson, the Anderson family? I know Hannah knows the Anderson family. But anyway, I didn't know it at the time, but Joseph, who used to come here and he got married and he moved off, he still listens to our podcast. So he may be here, he may hear this, I don't know. So anyway, he gave me a heads up. Well, I'll be honest, I, I kind of forgot that he had texted me. So later on, or about the week before Christmas, I get this leather notebook in the mail. It was all wrapped up though. And I opened it up and I said, it, it didn't have any, it was just two nil, and it dawned on me this was Joseph's gift. It's really nice. It's leather, and it's got my, my name on the front of it. And, it, you know, you open it up, and it's got a little notebook inside where I can, you know, jot down all my great and wonderful thoughts. And I thought to myself, what a gift, you know. And I immediately knew who it was from because he had given me prior preparation that he was going to send it. See, Joseph knows me well enough that I'm very, very scatterbrained. <laughs> And he knew that he needed to let me know in advance that he was going to send something or else I may throw it out, right? So anyway, I was very grateful for this gift. It made me think about how important it is for us to be prepared to receive what God desires to send our way. That, that I think, helps explain why John the Baptist was necessary. God knows that we're rebellious. We are very easily distracted. If we're not careful, we'll miss the greatest gifts of all if we're not paying attention. So John the Baptist draws us to attention. 
So let's look at Luke 3, verse 1. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Aturea and Trachonitis, and Licinius was tetrarch of Abilene in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Then he quotes, he preaches from the Old Testament, Isaiah 40. You could read all of Isaiah 40. But this is a portion. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every ravine shall be filled up, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough roads smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. That's his message. That's his preaching. So he therefore began saying to the multitudes who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers. That doesn't sound very nice, does it? But it's true. You brood of vipers who warned you to, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bring forth fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, Oh, we have Abraham for our father, for I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And also the axe is already laid at the root of the tree, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The multitudes were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And John would answer and say to them, Let the man who has two tunics share with him who has none. And let him who has food do likewise. Well, some tax gatherers, they also came to be baptized. And they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Then some soldiers were questioning him. And they were saying, well, What about us? <laughs> what shall we do? Notice there's, there was something for everybody to do, right? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. Now while the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he might be the Christ, John answered and said to them, as for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I. I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, so he, there were other things that he preached. He preached the gospel to the people. Father, thank you for the gospel that you preach to us, the people. Well, we need good news. We're confronted every day with the bad news about ourselves and the world around us. 
There's no solution apart from you and your word. Thank you for the work that you're doing in your word and how John was preparing people for Christ. You, you sent a, a way maker. I pray, Lord, that we would prepare our hearts daily for the work you would do in our lives through your word and your spirit. Thank you for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, here's the voice heralding the good news to prepare people for Christ and what he would do. There's so much to learn here, but I think the, the main point or the central point of this text is the power of the Word of God and the, the need that we have for the Word of God. So I see in this passage the arrival of the Word of God. I see in this passage the preaching of the Word of God. I see in this passage the application of the Word of God. But last and certainly not least, I see the person of the Word of God, who is Christ Himself. So let's look at the arrival of the Word. Now what's interesting is that for for about 400 years there's been silence. So if you look at Malachi, the last of the great prophets... God hasn't, quote-unquote, spoken through a prophet for about 400 years. God, where are you? God, do you have anything to say? The world is in chaos and confusion. We need a word from God. That's the context that, that John the Baptist was called into. Now, what's interesting is that if you look at verses 1 and 2... We may at times want to ask ourselves, who are these people? Now, for their day and age, they were significant people. They were powerful. They were relevant. They were political. They were religious. We could go back through the list. This is what John was called into, a political context where, you know, for example, they were in the, John dates all of this pretty specifically Uh, or Luke actually dates this pretty specifically in chapter 3, verse 1. We're in the 15th year of who? Tiberius Caesar. He sounds really important, doesn't he? 15 years into his reign. And then you got Pontius Pilate. We know that he's going to come up later in the story. And Herod and Philip and Licinius and Annas and Caiaphas. All these important political leaders and these important religious leaders who had... Political authority. It was said of Tiberius Caesar, for example, we could do a character sketch on every single one of these guys and learn some things about them from history. But, for example, Tiberius Caesar, it was said of him that he was talented, he was ambitious, but he was also cruel, licentious, infamous, and inhuman. That's Tiberius Caesar. But what I want to point out is that, and we're not going to go through the list of these guys, but the political and religious leaders of this particular day were temporal and secondary relative to who? John the Baptist. We would be remiss to spend all of our time and energy and focus on the guys in verses 1 and 2 and miss the main guy who is John the Baptist who is proclaiming the word and the work of God. But if you're like me, you do it all the time. 
I'm focused on the political situation and the turmoil and the upheaval. And to put it in the, the way I had a teacher in uh, algebra used to put it, I'll get the cart before the horse. Or as Jesus said, I'll strain out a gnat and I'll swallow a camel. It doesn't mean that the political situation in verses 1 and 2 wasn't important. It just means that it was secondary to who God was and what God was doing. Now, there's some practical application in here for you and me in today's political climate. Because now, about 2,000 years later, we're scratching our heads and trying to say, who were these guys? Well, we don't have to scratch our heads and wonder, who was John the Baptist? And we don't have to scratch our heads and wonder, who was Jesus Christ? And we don't have to scratch our heads and wonder, did God have, to have anything to say? Absolutely, he did have something to say. Now, what's interesting is that where does the word of God come to? And who does the word of God come through during this political upheaval time? It comes to John where? In the wilderness. Well, that's interesting. It doesn't come in the political center or the religious center. It comes out in obscurity in the middle of nowhere. You know the history of John the Baptist? He may have been in the wilderness at least 10 years. In Luke chapter 1 verse 80, it told us as it updated us on John's growth, right after Zacharias, his father, sang a song, it said about John in Luke 180 that John the Baptist, as a child, he continued to grow. He became strong in spirit. He lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So he lived out in the wilderness. He lived out in the desert. But what do we know about the wilderness? What do we know about the desert? Well, there's no Wi-Fi out there. <laughs> there's no cell phone coverage out in the wilderness. It's a dry desert place. It's dangerous. It can be frightful. The reason the word of God comes to the wilderness and the reason God sent John the Baptist out into the wilderness is through that God was symbolizing the spiritual and moral climate of that particular day. It was as if the whole world was in a wilderness because the world wasn't submissive to God and, and wasn't worshiping God and didn't know God. But don't ever discount what God can say and do in times of wilderness. Have you ever been in a wilderness? Morally or spiritually? And as you look back on your time in the wilderness, you may say to yourself, you know what? When I was in the hospital, when I was down and out, when I was broken, it was then and there that God's word arrived to me in the wilderness. God does great and wonderful and powerful work for his people in the wilderness. He had a reason for his word arriving to John the Baptist and none of these other guys in the wilderness. So Luke doesn't want us to miss this point. The spiritual and moral climate of the day needed a word from God. And a word from God came at his appointed time, in his appointed place, to his appointed prophet. There's a lot to be learned 
as to how the arrival of the word came to John in total obscurity out in the wilderness where he's eating locusts and wild honey and dressed like a madman, right? So let's think about the arrival of the word. But not only did the word arrive, but then John preached it. So then you've got the preaching of the word. Now what's interesting is that he preached the word that God had already given. John had a text. A lot of times preachers are asked, how do you come up with those sermons every week? (laughs) How do you do that every week? You come up with a sermon. Man, we would be in absolute trouble if if I'm just left to me and my opinions and my thoughts and I'm just trying to come up within me a sermon. Although I understand the question. I had the same question too when I began the ministry. But my grandfather was very helpful. And I told you this before. He says, I, hey, he says, I got a book that's got a lot of really good sermons in it. I said, oh boy, I need that. I said, what is it? He said, the Bible. <laughs> the word we need is the word that already has been given. I don't need to get up here and come up with any new thoughts and ideas as to what the... God has already said everything that we need to know. We just need people courageous enough and wise enough and bold enough to stand and proclaim in a world of chaos and confusion what God has already said. And what had God already said? Well, John the Baptist, he doesn't just come up with this it was God already gave it to him in Isaiah 40 a prophet who predated him for a few hundred years John the Baptist was fulfilling this word the vo- he was the voice crying out in the wilderness and what's interesting is look at the preparation that the preaching of the word gives to the people he says you better get ready You better clear a road. You better make a highway in your heart. A gift is coming. But if you're not checking the mail, if you're not opening those packages, you're going to miss the gift. You need to make this path straight. You need a highway of holiness for God to come in and work in in your heart and life. Look at, look at these images. Every ravine shall be filled up. You want to prepare for the work of Christ in your life? Is there, is there anything lacking in you that needs to be filled up? Is there anything that God desires and expects that needs to be brought in? Do you have a lack of faith, a lack of love, a lack of humility? Is there anything lacking? Man, before they build a road through an area, they have to fill up those ravines. And here's a great picture for us. If I don't want to miss the word and work, of, then something that's lacking in me needs to be filled. Are there any high places? They need to be brought down. Mountains and hills shall be brought low. Pride and ego and self-sufficiency and I don't need God and I don't need other people. Hey, all that needs to be brought down. It needs to be mortified 
and crushed. Any crooked places? They need to be made straight. Well, we know about the crookedness in the world around us, and especially the people that we see and watch and hear. But what about the corrupt, sinful, unrighteous nature in me that must be straightened out to conform to the will and word and righteous standard of God? Are there any rough roads that need to be smoothed? And by this we mean whatever sin may be blocking the way of God and His work in my life must be mortified and taken out. So he gives us a really good picture. And through the years when I've come to a passage like this, I've said to those of us in the community, do y'all remember when old 27 became new 27? I do. I've been in North Carolina a while, I've moved back, and I said, man, where did Rootville go? <laughs> From an engineering standpoint, they did what this passage describes has to happen in my heart and your heart. That was the preaching of John the Baptist. So everything that, 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 that he talks about is, is really to engage my heart and life in, in opening up and, and in dependency and in need preparing for, for Christ. What we need in our individual lives and in our church is a wholesale comprehensive work of God to make a way for Christ to come in and work. Hey, he had a, te <clears throat> he had a text, but then he expanded on it a little bit in verses 7 and 8. You know, he basically in verse 3 said that what all of us need is a baptism of repentance. We need to repent. We need to turn from sin and self towards something. And we're going to get to what that is later. But all of us, what does the word repentance mean? It means we need to change. We need to turn. And baptism symbolizes that full-fledged surrender and plunge into God, a dying to myself and a rising again that is a new man with a new nature and a new creature, I need repentance because I need the forgiveness of sin. Whoa, wait a second. So I'm not okay like I am? No, we're not okay like we are. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all of us deserve His righteous judgment on us, which is why John the Baptist preached fire and judgment is coming. There's a lot to his message. He says, you need to turn, change. You need forgiveness. So his preaching, it's a little bit incomplete, I'll be honest. If you just stop there. Notice then that he jumps from preaching repentance for forgiveness. He jumps right to application. Well, let's think about that for a second. He, they, they start asking him, so, so his preaching creates a, oh, wait a second, uh, what do I do? I was taking Bennett to school one morning this week. Uh, yeah, we're back in our routine. We started back Monday, right? 
at Carrollton. And so we were back in the morning routine. Well, early one morning this week, you know how the fire department has those SUVs, those smaller vehicles that they send out with the, you know, the lights flashing and the sound going? What do you say to yourself when you see that? Man, there's, a, there's something going on somewhere, and there's a bigger, <laughs> there's a ladder truck probably coming behind them. What do I need to do? So I start immediately looking for some place to pull over or some place to get out of the way because it's that smaller warning that shows you that something bigger's coming, and you and I better adjust or we might get, we might get caught up in the hoopla, right? Well, John the Baptist is almost like that smaller vehicle. He's saying, you better watch out. You better turn. You need forgiveness. So when I see the small SUV, I'm asking what they're asking. What do we do? What do I need to do? So I want to walk you through what he says that we need to do. He says, what you need to do, and they look, look at verse 7 and 8. You're a bunch of snakes. <laughs> You're sinful people. Your tongues are deceptive. You're rotten to the core, and I'm just preaching Romans 3, and I'm just diagnosing you and, and me in our, in our heart of hearts. He says you need to change, and you need to not rely on the fact that, oh, you're from so-and-so family, or you've gone through so-and-so religious rituals, because God, you, you can't say, well, Abraham's my father. I don't need salvation. Yes, you do. And he says every tree that doesn't bear fruits cut down and thrown into the fire. So look at verse 10. So the multitude comes to him and they say, what do we do? Well, John starts applying the word. Here's your application. Go home and look in your closet. <laughs> do you have plenty of clothes to wear? You're like, absolutely. I took a load to Goodwill last week that we didn't need. How much food is in your pantry and your refrigerator? Man, there's food. I, I, we got food right now in my refrigerator from our Christmas gathering last night. I doubt we'll eat it all. It's just stuffed in there. What are we going to do with it? John tells the multitudes that they need to change and become generous and start sharing. You got two coats? Give one to somebody who doesn't have one. You got plenty of food? Likewise, do the same. So he's saying you need to change and have a generous heart. Well, then the, the, the tax gatherers hear this and they come and they, they, like, they know they're in a bad category. They're a special, notorious group of sinners. They're linked in there with the prostitutes, the tax gatherers and the prostitutes. And so they call out to John, listen, you're telling the multitudes what to do. What do we tax gatherers need to do? We don't have a very good reputation in the community. Because as we've said before, they charged more so that they could give to the Romans and keep more for themselves. They wanted to be baptized. Look at verse 13. Well, your hearts need to change too. Collect no more than what you've been ordered to. In other words, become just and fair. And righteous in how you deal with people and their money. Well, then the soldiers were listening too. And they said, well, hey, what about us? What do we need to do? Look at verse 14. 
Don't take money from anyone by force. In other words, don't be violent or intimidating. Don't accuse anyone falsely. Stop lying. And you need to be content with what your wages are currently. You need to be satisfied. So what John says is that all of us need to change and become generous and just and humble and content and righteous. Well, if you're like me, you ask, well, how in the world is this going to happen? Because I know me. I know I'm discontent and proud. And I cut corners. I have trouble releasing things to share with others. For some of us, he might as well command us to, to start being eight feet tall. So he jumped to the application. But then last of all, I want to talk about the person of the word. Because it's Christ and Christ alone who is the reality of how God brings into our lives forgiveness through repentance and a change of heart and new nature that leads us to become generous and just and content. Things that by nature we struggle with. That's why, so the people in verse 15 start to have all this expectation and all this enthusiasm and wonder because they know that God is at work, but they're wondering, we need a Savior and a Messiah who can, who can come into our lives and, and create in me a, a new heart. And that's why he points to Jesus. Look at verse 15 and 16. John, are you the one? Are you the Christ? He's all like, whoa. <laughs> you know a true leader. And you know a true godly sent person who points away from themselves and only to Christ. Here's the test. Here's the litmus test. Is it about us or is it about Jesus? Because we lack the power to save ourselves or change ourselves. And we also lack the power to save other people and transform other people. We lack the power and the resources to do what John the Baptist is saying must be done. So he prepares the way and he creates this expectation and this need and this wonder. And then he says, look, you go to Jesus. That's what he says. Oh, I'm not the one. He says, as for me, I'm going to baptize you with water. I'm going to symbolize outwardly the reality that he's going to bring. Jesus will baptize with what? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's who we need. We need the Spirit of God working in us to change us, to forgive us, and to lead us to become generous and just and fair and content. John says, I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His fork is in his hand. He's going to clear the threshing floor. He's going to gather wheat into the barn. He's going to burn up the chaff. Wait a second. John's getting ahead of the game. He's talking about the end time judgment. There's something that John doesn't yet see. 
And it's what most all the prophets had, had trouble seeing. That, that the person of the word would be God who came down and he would live a perfect life. And what? He would die and take upon himself. Listen. He would take upon himself the fiery judgment of God on the cross of Christ. So as I listen to John preach without knowing Christ, I'm saying, okay, how do I repent? Where do I go? How can a sinner like me be forgiven? And not only that, how can I become generous and righteous and content? John says, there he is. But what John may not realize yet is the fiery judgment was going to be pushed into the future but it was going to come first and foremost on Jesus, and that's how I have forgiveness. It's like somebody said to me the other day, well, I guess the only really safe people to be around are the people who've already had the coronavirus. <laughs> well, to a degree, that was probably true. I don't want to get into that, but what I do know is that the only safe place for us to go as far as the judgment of God goes, is where the fire has already burned. And where is the fire of God already burned? It's already fallen upon Jesus. And God raised him from the dead. And that's why whatever prophet, whatever preacher, whatever politician, or plumber, or painter, okay? <laughs> Had a guy tell me one time, he don't trust anybody whose profession starts with a P. Preacher, prophet, plumber, you know. I'm like, well, you, yeah, you're throwing me in that category. John points to Christ. He's a true prophet. Now, remember, later on in John's ministry, he's going to become so discouraged. Herod's going to put him in prison. And John the Baptist himself, who sounds so bold and courageous now, is going to wonder... Where are you, God? Are you the expected one, or should we look for another? And Jesus said, you go and you tell John. The blind receive their sight, the deaf hear. The poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who does not stumble over me. He had to encourage John later in his ministry, because John found himself in a different kind of wilderness. Well, let me close by saying this. What you see throughout the Gospel of Luke is the multitudes and the tax gatherers and the soldiers are going to become and they're going to eventually do the things that John the Baptist said that they were going to have to do in order to be saved. But the way they're going to become that and do that is they're going to go to Jesus. Zacchaeus, a tax collector. The centurion soldier there at the cross. The multitudes who while Jesus was dying at the cross, they began to express remorse and repentance by beating their chests. Luke is preparing the way for us not, not to miss the gift. So for you and I, daily and weekly, our hearts have to be plowed. Our minds have to be humbled so that we don't miss the daily work of the Word of God in our lives 
so that we don't miss the gift. I'm thankful for John the Baptist. And I'm thinking that, I'm thinking that for you and me, we need, a, we need a John the Baptist ministry in our hearts and minds daily to plow the way for God and Christ and His work and His Spirit to do in us what, what, what needs to be done. Father, thank you that John the Baptist shows us really as a prophet what, what needs to take place regularly. That, that we're called to live a life of repentance. And I pray, Lord, that you would lead us to live a life of repentance and growth and change. We miss so much, Father, the, the, the work you're doing, our participation in it, our, our involvement, our blessing from it. But I thank you, God, that in your grace that you... Lead and restore and work. And, and you can take even our chaos and our disobedience and you can work that together for good. Thank you that the greatest gift of all is your word. And may we not lose sight of what the main point is in life and in Luke's gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You come as we sing.
We're going to close with singing Family of God this morning. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. You have a great week. <clears throat>